On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got some big news from LibreOffice with the release of LibreOffice 7.0. Ubuntu has announced the first point release of Ubuntu 2004 LTS. I'm going to show you a cool app that lets you view and interact with your Android device from your Linux desktop. And we've got some news about upcoming releases from Magia, KDE's video editor Kaden Live, and Elementary with Elementary OS 6. Later in the show, we'll check out some new app releases with Auto CPU Freak and Automatic CPU Speed and Power Optimizer, Pinta Image Editor, and Mastodon Social Network. We'll also check out some Humble Bundles, including a game that you can get for free for a limited time. All that and much more coming up on This Week in Linux, your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to This Week in Linux, a weekly Linux news podcast, a part of the Destination Linux network. I'm Michael Tunnell, and in this show, we'll keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take on the latest topics using my over 20 years experience as a Linux user. Before we get started with the show, let's do a little bit of housekeeping. So DLN, Destination Linux Network, is going to have a game night. So we're having a game night on Sunday, August 30th, and we're going to be doing it, I don't know exactly what time yet, we haven't totally decided yet exactly the time, but if tune into the next episode of Destination Linux, where we will announce the full time and everything, but I want to let you know, because we're going to be playing a game called Game Be Gang Beasts, and that game is currently in a Humble Bundle right now. You'll find a link in the show notes below. I'll talk about that more in the Humble Bundle section of the show. But I want to let you know that that'll be a part of the game night. So you can get it for a, a really good deal right now with the Humble Bundle. So that's why I wanted to put that out there. So even though we haven't really picked the time yet, I wanted to go ahead and tell you because we're going to be playing that game. And I think it's going to be fun. Uh, speaking of Destination Linux... You should check out Destination Linux, the latest episode of 185 where we try to fix Linux tech support and also 184 where we try to fix bug reporting in Linux. And these are two topics that we think are very important for Linux to address and we give our solutions and suggestions about how that could be addressed. So we're curious about what everyone thinks about those ideas. So be sure to check those out and let us know in the comments of those episodes what you think about that. So from there, let's jump into the episode. A first in the show this week is LibreOffice 7.0. This is the next major release from LibreOffice, and there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. We're not going to cover everything. We're going to cover the highlights and some big news and some stuff like that, as well as a quick update to a previous topic we covered on this show related to LibreOffice. So regarding the Enterprise Edition, the Document Foundation says that the plan to create a differentiated Enterprise Edition that was discussed in July has been deferred and is not part of this release. So we talked about, I'll let you know when we got more news about the Enterprise Edition related to that for LibreOffice, but they've decided that they're going to defer that to a future release or maybe not do it. I don't know. They haven't really decided or have it, they haven't said more about that. So we'll find out later and I'll keep you up to date on that. But let's talk about what is in 7.0. So first of all, let's do some highlights and then we'll talk about the big stuff. So first is the open document format updates or ODF, has been updated to version 1.3. 
This adds the ability for visual digital signatures to be added in existing documents. It also adds the option for open PGP-based encryption of XML documents and does improvements for areas such as change tracking and just keeping track of history of changes and that kind of thing. And also some more highlights is basic high DPI scaling for Qt 5, KDE 5 has been added. New icon themes and improvements to existing themes. They've also done uh, new shapes galleries with arrows, diagrams, icons, and more. They've added some new effects like glow and soft edge effects for various objects. And they've also improved support for accessing shared files via Samba or the SMB protocol. So in addition to all of those highlights, they've also done some really interesting things. First of all, let's talk about something called Skia. So they decided to switch their graphics engine from Cairo to Skia, which is a, a graphics library for rendering sponsored by AMD. It allows for optional GPU-based Vulkan acceleration support. That's right, GPU acceleration in LibreOffice. That is very interesting. So Skia is an open source 2D graphics library and provides common APIs across many hardware and software platforms. It can be used for drawing text, shapes, images, and all kinds of stuff like that. And if you're not familiar with Vulkan, Vulkan is a new generation graphics and compute API with high efficiency and cross-platform access to modern GPUs. This new graphics engine with Skia and the Vulkan implementation makes it possible to do GPU-based acceleration, and that is just super interesting to be able to improve their performance in that way. So I look forward to trying that out. And also another thing that they've added that seems really interesting is that they say they have better compatibility with DocX, XLSX, and PPTX files. These are for Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. And the blog.documentfoundation.org release notes says, almost perfect support. That is an interesting claim. I hope it's true, but they say that DocX files now saves in native 2013, 2016, and 2019 mode instead of the 2007 compatibility mode. So that's really, really cool. The Document Foundation said that LibreOffice offers the highest level of compatibility in the Office Suite arena, starting with native support for open document format ODF with better security and interoperability features over proprietary formats, but to almost perfect support for DocX, XLSX, and PPTX files, which is very, very cool. And another thing that I just wanted to add in here because I just it just amuses me, but they have a little note that says in the removal section that they have removed support for Adobe Flash. And that's great because Adobe Flash is going to be end of life by the end of 2020. And I'm really happy that that is happening. I thought it was already dead, but apparently it wasn't. So I can't wait for the Adobe Flash support to end officially forever because Flash is terrible. And on that note, check out LibreOffice 7.0 to get the new, latest, greatest open source Office Suite for yourself. I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Ubuntu 2004.1, which is the first point release of Ubuntu 2004 LTS. Now, this release has system upgrades available for 1804 LTS now. Well, okay, you could have done it earlier with the manual upgrades, but this is the first time when they actually recommend it and suggest that you do it because uh, people might not be aware of this, but they always tell you to wait until the first point release to go from LTS to LTS because that way they have more time to do testing to make sure those upgrades work as best as possible. So every single LTS, they always tell you to wait until the first point release before you actually do those upgrades, just so you know. 
And this release has also additionally like bug fixes, some installer fixes, some performance tweaks. They've added support for uh, OEM kernel support and also WireGuard support and a variety of things. They even also now have uh, fully patched against the vulnerability for Grub, which was uh, named Boothole. So there's a lot of in improvements to this release, uh, but it's also mostly just bug fixes and performance tweaks and things like that. So it's not like a full-blown new release. It's just a point release. That's why they call it that. And if you already have 20.04 installed right now, you don't have to do anything extra. And this applies to whether you're using Ubuntu or any of the flavors like Kubuntu, Lubuntu, Zubuntu, and etc. It applies to all of those as well. So if you already have those, you don't have to worry about getting the point release because it, you've already been getting updates throughout the time. So you have it essentially. Uh, and also wanted to do a quick note to say that you're not going to be getting any hardware enablement stacks for this particular release. That will be in 2004.2. And the reason is because they do those updates after every interim release, which happens every six months after the LTS is released. And it hasn't been six months since the LTS release of 2004, which happens like, so basically every April they make a new release and every October they make a new release. So it's only been four months well, actually less than four months since the 2004 release. So this point release does not have any of those updates because they haven't finished making the 2010 release of Ubuntu. And once that's made, then they will make hardware enablement stacks for 2004.2. Hopefully that makes it clearer. If not, let me know in the comments below and I'll try to explain it there. But anyway, so if you're, if you're using 2004 and you want to get an update, you already got it probably, but if you're using 1804, now you can upgrade to the latest LTS in a much cleaner and more likely to be successful upgrade. So there you go. If you want to learn more about this, I have a link in the show notes below to 2004.1. Up next in the show is a really interesting application called SCRCPY. This is version 1.15.1, and I don't know if it's pronounced this way or not, but I hope it is. So we're going to call it Screen Copy. So Screen Copy is an Android mirroring app from Genie Mobile. It allows you to see your Android smartphone on your desktop and interact with it, which is very, very cool. So you can connect to it over USB or even wirelessly, which they have a guide to how to do that. But essentially, it uses the ADB or the Android debug bridge to make that work. And it doesn't even require root access to make this possible, which is really cool. All you need to do is enable the USB debugging, and that's it. Very, very cool. It runs on a, it runs a server on the smartphone and then streams the screen as video to your device or to your desktop and accepts incoming keyboard and mouse inputs from your desktop through this server software, which is very, very interesting. It works on Linux and also Windows and Mac, but of course we're only talking about Linux because that's what matters on This Week in Linux. And also it has some improved, like very good performance in terms of like 30 frames and 60 frames per second. It has 1080p quality and even above. They haven't really specified how high it goes, but it depends on the phone, I suppose. And also they say it's very low latency. It's got uh, anywhere between 35 to 70 milliseconds for latency. And it also says it has a low, very low startup time for less than or, or about a second or so to display the first image. They also say that it is non-intrusive, meaning there's nothing left on the installed device if you get rid of it, which is very good. And the, the newest version of 1.15.1 adds the ability to forward control and shift keys to your handset that allows for familiar shortcuts and stuff like passing control C and control V and stuff like that for, co for co uh, copy and paste and variety of different things. So very, very, very cool. And also another thing that's really, really interesting is that Genie Mobile also has another thing, which is a weird 
Oh, I see what it is. I see why it's the, okay. There's an. <laughs> I didn't notice it until just now. This is application, uh, a, a, a piece of software that an app basically that Jenny Mobile makes called G N I R E H T E T. It's reverse tethering, so it's actually the word tethering spelled backwards. So what it does, which is really great, I'm complete. I'm ridiculous. I just now noticed that. It's a reverse tethering tool that allows your phone to use your computer's internet connection rather than the reverse of your computer using your phone's internet connection. Really, really cool. And if you want to learn more about screen copy or reverse tethering, whatever that's supposed to be pronounced, I'm just going to say reverse tethering. Uh, I have links to those in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimizing, managing, and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. But you can actually get started on DigitalOcean for two months for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And if you're not sure what you want to get started with, you can check out their over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you get started with whatever kind of thing you want. Or in addition to those tutorials, they also have a really awesome marketplace system where you can do quick installs of a variety of different things like Minecraft servers, Jitsi servers, and so much more WordPress. I mean, it, it, the, the list is gigantic, so go check those out go to do.co slash dln to get started with your 100 free credit that is available for two months for free again do.co slash dln and thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week in linux up next in the show elementary os has revealed their plans for the new release of elementary os 6 so it's currently have under heavy development it will be based on ubuntu 2004 lts and it is right now in early access stage We'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, let's talk about what's new in Elementary OS 6. So there's a lot of improvements to the design. They also have a new installer, which they say is a friendlier first-run experience installer. And for the design parts, you know, Elementary is known for their design, so it makes sense they'd put a lot of effort in this next release. They have improvements to their topography and style, a system style sheet. They say those are changing, and it will affect almost everything on the system. And they say that they're adding a new dark style for dock, keyboard shortcut overlays, uh, panel indicators, system dialogues, and other components, which hopefully they make a full dark mode because a lot of people do like the like having a dark theme. And if you don't have a full dark theme, it's kind of problematic for some people who might get headaches from a really bright screens and stuff like that. So I hope Elementary just goes, goes all out and does a full dark mode. But in, they've also said that they improved the contrast of the design and they've just done more refinement of the overall design in general, in addition to making it possible for users to select accent colors for various apps, which is pretty cool. Now let's talk about if you want to get it in the early access, how to do that. So in order to get early access, you have to go to bills.elementary.io, but you also have to have an authorized account to do those downloads. So you have to be a part of an OEM to be a first-party contributor or be a backer for the crowdfunder for the App Center for everyone. Now, if you want to do it, if you, these are all things that you might not be able to do 
But if you want to, it still you can by becoming a sponsor on GitHub Sponsors, and that requires $10 per month or higher to get access to the early access builds. Now, this is an interesting method of monetization. I don't have a problem with it. I think if people want to have early access, they're not really entitled to having early access as terms of like an open source operating system. So yeah, I think that the you know commercialism, I have no problem with. So I think this is an interesting approach to doing it. And let me know what you think in the comments below about what you think of this early access structure. I'm very interested to know what you think. In addition to this, they are also doing something that I think has a lot of potential. And that is rewriting like a major rewrite for the default mail app in elementary. So if you're not aware, Pantheon mail is what they have. And it's a fork of Geary. Or I'm not sure if it's a fork or if it's just a different version. I think, I don't know how close they are to Geary in general. But anyway, they're making a lot of changes. So Geary is an application that was created by another team. That team decided to drop support for it. Then it was picked up by Elementary and by Gnome. So there was like these two different versions of Geary. Now, what they're deciding to do is very, very interesting because they're saying they're going to be leaning on Evolution Data Server instead of the custom Geary mail engine. Now, this makes it possible to have the value of Geary, which is essentially its UI. It's just it's a modern UI email app client, but its problem is that its backend engine was not the best. It was very limited in features and stuff like that. And the exact opposite is true for Evolution. Evolution is not a very good-looking email client. It's not a very modern email client, but the backend uh, support for features is very good. So I really like this idea of com combining the two. So you have a really nice front end with the Geary slash Pantheon mail, and you have a really good back end with the Evolution. And also Evolution's front end is kind of bulky. So having this you know, combination sounds really, really interesting. So I look forward to trying that out when they release it. So if you'd like to learn more about the, uh, the plans, I'll have a link to the blog post from Elementary about Elementary OS in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a testing request from KDE's video editor project, Caden Live, for their upcoming release of 20.08 release, and that's coming out uh, in a week or so. And they want to have uh, some testing right before the release, so if you'd like to help testing, then uh, this is for you. And I normally don't talk about beta releases or release candidates and stuff like that. I usually wait for the actual stable release. But because there's some interesting updates for this, like multiples of this week, I decided, you know what, let's talk about it. So Caden Live, Elementary OS, and the next one, and the next topic is also a beta release. So that's why I decided to do it. I just think it's pretty interesting to have that as like a, it's all happening this week. So, you know, anyway. So there's a lot of UI and UX improvements on this next release of Caden Live. There's also been a ton of bug fixes. They say that they they think that there's going to be a lot of improvements to stability. They think they said that they haven't had any experience of crashing since they started using 20 20.08. And they uh, want people to try, check it out and test out all that stuff to see if they are correct in that statement. Uh, they've also done a lot of improvements to the features. There's some highlights of those is multiple audio streams are now available. Zoom bars in the clip monitor is now added. They also have a new layout management system with predefined layouts, which is really, really cool because that means you have a specified layout for video editing, audio editing, color grading, and a variety of other things. It's really, really cool. Uh, I can't wait to check it out. 
I haven't done so yet because I was prepping this show and this this episode, and I'm definitely going to be checking this out because I am a big fan of Caden Live. I use it for every video I make and every podcast I make, so I am super excited to try this out. They do say there is something to know, though, like a quick warning, sort of, that the version has a new project type that is not backwards compatible. So if you uh, open a project and convert it into the newer version, you won't be able to use older versions of Kdenlive with that new file, or if you make new projects in general, it won't be able to do it. So just keep that in mind. If you decide to do testing, make sure you have a copy so you don't, you know, you have a copy for the existing version and also do a copy for the testing. Just to make sure you don't have any kind of conflict like that. Uh, so anyway, if you're interested in testing out Kdenlive 2008, the release candidate, I'll have links to the app image in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the last beta release we're going to talk about, and that is Magia 8. Now, before we go on, just want to say, I don't know if Magia is the actual pronunciation or not. If I'm incorrect, please let me know in the comments below if you're a part of the Magia project. And if I am correct, then feel free to not say anything, because that just means if no one says anything, I'll just assume I was correct. So there we go. Anyway, Magia 8 is a so like a continuation of Mandrake Linux, basically. So Mandrake was an operating system from a long time ago. It I don't remember exactly how long it's been since it was it died, but it's been a, it was a long time ago, and it was very popular. I used it back in the day, and a lot of people did. So a lot of people were mad that it was gone. So Magia is kind of like a legacy successor to it. It's been around for a very long time too, by the way. Magia is not brand new or anything. And I just wanted to let you know about the history a little bit. So I can go into it more if you want, but let's just leave it there for now. So Magia's updates in Magia 8 has an update to kernel 5.7.9, Plasma 5.19.3, GNOME 3.36, and XFCE 4.15.2. For those who are familiar with the way that XFCE works on their numbering scheme for their versions, uh, that actually actually means that's, that is a development version of XFCE, not the latest stable version, because the latest stable currently is 4.14. The next one will be 4.16, because for some reason, they do this even-odd thing. So even means stable release, odd means development release. So there's that. So they're actually shipping development release inside of Magia 8, which is very interesting. So that's pretty cool. And it's not necessarily to say that... You know, Mag- XFCE is one of those interesting things, or these projects that doesn't really make huge, giant, breaking changes in between each release, including the development releases. So it's not like a dangerous thing for them to do that. I just wanted to say it's... I just wanted to clarify it's pretty interesting that they did it that way. So there you go. Also, they've updated RPM, the package management system, to 4.16.0, which brings improvements like automatic SSD detection and improved transaction speeds. And also, they've done some improvements overall to like the ARM support. They've added improvements for the installer that have better support for F2FS and NILFS2. And uh, for those who are interested, uh, F2FS stands for Flash Friendly File System. So it could be just F3S, but they went with F2FS. So there you go. Random tidbit of information. Uh, ZSTD or, or ZSTD compression added to live and classical environments, a move being made by a lot of different distributions. It allows for faster boot and installation times. It accelerates metadata parsing as well within the URPMI package manager and a bunch of other stuff. And they've done some improvements overall to like adding AppStream metadata better integrating for op- uh, 
Gnome and Plasma and many, many more things. If you want to learn more about Magia 8, you can check out the latest beta release in the show notes below. I'll have a link for that. They actually haven't given a release date for the final release. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I wanted to go ahead and put it in here because I am pretty interested in Magia. I think it's pretty cool that they have this like uh, Mandrake legacy and all that stuff. So if you want to check it out, I'll have a link in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust, and I've been using it for, I don't even remember how long it's been, for quite a few years. Password managers are also fantastic things that if you're not aware, let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. One of the main reasons is having a balance of security and convenience when using online accounts like websites or apps. So what do I mean by a balance of this? Well, you want to have as much security as possible, but Security can also become massive headaches when you have to jump through multiple hoops. So password managers are a great way to have a balance of security and convenience because with the convenience of having your passwords available to you on whatever device you're using, whether it's your mobile, whether it's your desktop or browser plugins or even the command line if you want to, that is a great way of having it all accessible to you. And also you can have automatically failing passwords so you don't have to type in the passwords yourself. So... Why does it matter to have all this convenience? Well, security is very, very important these days because the more websites you create an account on, which basically every website create, asks you to make an account now, you need to have a different password for every single website. Now, not everybody does that, but you totally should do that because if one password is used on multiple websites and one of those websites gets compromised, then and effectively all of those websites are compromised because they could just try those passwords on a variety of different websites and if you use the same password for your bank account that you do for everything else, that's a very big deal. So don't do that at all. And so, like, how do you keep track of all those passwords? Also, how do you create those passwords, right? Well, Bitwarden is the solution for both of those things. You can use their automatic password generator to create these passwords for you. And you can use the Bitwarden Password Manager Vault to keep track of all those passwords. And like I said, you can autofill those passwords so you don't even have to know what they are. You just use the automatic feel on your app or on your browser plugin or whatever, and it just makes it so much easier. And in addition to just being easy and convenient, it's also 100% open source. Now, I am a huge fan of open source, as you might have aware, because I'm making a show called This Week in Linux. Bitwarden is a password manager that when I first found, like, I was basically thinking about, I really like the idea of these password managers, but I want the ability to have security and convenience and a reason to trust these people because most of the time these services are proprietary. So I was like, man, I just wish somebody would just make a service that is also open source and I would be just all in. And then I found Bitwarden, which is exactly what I wanted. And that is just so awesome. Not only are they 100% open source, they also allow you to self-host it if you want to. And on top of that, they even do security audits. So they pay to have other like third-party firms do security auditing of their code to make sure it's as much as good as possible. So basically, they have, they're so confident in their code that they open source it. And two, they even hire people to make sure that their confidence is solid, which is awesome. I love that. 
bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But if you're like me, you might want to get the premium account anyway because with the premium account, you get two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, U2F, Duo. You get Vault Health Reports. You get TOT, uh, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation. That's temporary one-time password. That's what TOTP means. And you get a bunch of other stuff, and it only costs you $10 per year. That's right, $10 per year to get started with a premium account. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. But if you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation for signing up for the premium edition, especially since that premium edition is only $10 per year. Thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux and the Destination Linux Network. Up next in the show is a really interesting project that is basically an automatic CPU power and speed optimizer. So it's called Auto CPU Freak. I technically freak for frequency, so it's F-R-E-Q, and it's also, the developer doesn't have a preference of how it's pronounced, so I just want to call it CPU Freak because it's just more fun that way. So that's what we're going with, Auto CPU Freak. So automatic CPU speed and power optimizer based on automatic monitoring of the laptop's battery state, CPU usage, and system load. It also it saves battery life similar to how TLP does it, but instead of what TLP does, it, it lets Linux kernel do most of the heavy lifting. And they say it also works great in tandem with TLP, which is pretty interesting. The developer of this project says that I made this tool after using TLP for years and starting to run into problems with it. On his blog post, he discussed the TLP problem and says that I realized that CPU was capped at 1800 MHz. Then tweaking my TLP config, it makes sure to make sure it allows for turbo boost on connected uh, power or AC. And after getting nowhere, I decided to just remove it and then make this new package or this new project. And he says that it's designed for Intel and CP, uh, AMD CPUs in laptops, but it should work for desktop CPUs and servers which is very interesting. I want to know if anybody tests that. If you do have a bunch of servers and you want to put it on there and see if it does any optimization for power consumption and speed performance and stuff like that, let me know because that does sound pretty interesting. Uh, but this also has a bunch of features. Let's talk about those. So it has monitoring of basic system information, CPU frequency, CPU temperatures, system load, and battery state. And they also say that it has a CPU frequency scaling based on system load, CPU usage, and battery state. So if you are interested in having some optimization for your power and s speed of your computer for saving battery and a variety of other things like that, then uh, be sure to check this out because Auto CPU Freak seems very interesting and it seems like it has a lot of potential, especially since it works. It claims to be uh, useful for not just laptops, but also desktops and servers. So I'm very interested in who might test that out. And if you do test it out for your laptop, I haven't personally tested it yet uh, because I don't typically use laptops, but they do say it might work for desktop, so I might check that out. Uh, but if you do use a laptop and you want to see if it saves batteries, uh, battery life for you, then uh, be sure to test it out and let me know in the comments below what your results are. And maybe we can you know, recover this again and see how many people have seen improvements for it. So... If there's a new, if there's a lot of people who leave comments, and also in the next release of this project, we can talk about what the updates and the results were for those tests. So if you would like to participate in that, be sure to leave a comment below with your test results. So yeah, I'll have a link in below in the show notes for this particular project of Auto Dash CPU Freak. 
Up next in the show is the latest release of the Penta Image Editor version 1.7. This is pretty interesting because it is a image editor that is, it has a lot of features, but it's not like an overbearing amount of features. So it's kind of like an in-between between a beginner and a extensive program. It's an in-between there. Uh, it's actually, another interesting thing is that it's the first release in over five years. That's definitely interesting. Uh, this particular release of 1.7 has new features and improvements, so let's go through those. The new tab view for to switch between images, they have a new, uh, the tabs can be docked side by side or pulled into new windows. They also have a new dialogue uh, zoom and uh, dialogue rotate and zoom options for zooming and panning. New smooth erase tool, uh, pencil tool can now switch between different blend modes. They have now added support for Jask PaintShop Pro palette files. Uh, transform tools can now rotate in fixed increments by holding shift. The Move Selected tool can now scale by holding control, and you can uh, support for dragging and dropping images with an image URL into the app to to directly to download and load it into Penta, which is a pretty interesting idea. They've also added an app data file for integration with some Linux app stores, as well as a brand new user guide for getting started with Penta. So I'll have a link to the user guide as well as the latest uh, release of release notes for 1.7 in the show notes below. Uh, they've actually had a lot of bug fixes in this as well, but there has been some reports and some comments saying that the Penta is still working out some stability issues, but it's it's, uh, it's so far it's pretty good, but they have had some crashes when they've tested it out. So you know, your, your mileage may vary sort of thing, right? Uh, so if you would like to check it out, I have a link to the latest release notes and the user guide in the show notes below. And let me know what you think of Penta Image Editor 1.7. Up next in the show is an update to Mastodon. 3.2 version has been released. Mastodon is a decentralized federated alternative to Twitter. Now, I am also on Mastodon. If you would like to follow me, I'll have my link to my Twitter and my Mastodon in the show notes below. So feel free to connect with me on Mastodon if you'd like to use it. And there are a lot of updates to this latest release of 3.2. They've got a completely reworked audio player. They have improved support for video and audio compatibility with other platforms like Twitter. They have done some improvements to security and also some interesting things about notes for We'll get to that in a second. But for starting with the audio player, they have a better design for it. They've improved support for uh, different audio and video formats. They've added security mechanisms to the audio player, and they have automatically set up extraction album art for uploaded audio files. And if you have an audio file that doesn't have album art, you can now choose to upload a thumbnail instead of a picture or whatever is a part of that particular file. And if there's nothing, well, there's a reason to upload a thumbnail, right? Uh, But I wanted to talk about security and the personal notes thing that they've added. So the security is interesting because when you've been away for at least two weeks, they now have it set up that it will send you an email as a token to verify login. So uh, this is also if you don't have two-factor authentication set up or 2FA. So if you do have two-factor authentication, it's going to do this anyway every time. But if you don't, it will do this just in case if you haven't used your account for two weeks. So I think that's pretty interesting. Also, Also specifically, if the IP address that is trying to log in has not been used for that account before. So it's just a way to kind of compensate for if you're using the same device on the same IP and then you haven't used it, they're not going to ask you in that case. But if it's a new IP, 
they're just going to ask you. So it's interesting about like how, a, a way to solve um, security aspects without having two-factor authentication and without annoying people who use VPNs that change their IP all the time and that kind of thing. It's an interesting approach. Like I don't know how well this will work, but I am I am very interested in like what like the effectiveness of this, especially you know terms of like not having two factor and also using a VPN and that kind of thing. However, for those not using two factor authentication, uh, do it. You should be using two factor authentication. You should check out an episode of Destination Linux. I'll have it linked in the show notes. We talk about two factor authentication and why it's important. So you should definitely do that. I'll have a link in the show notes for that episode. And as well as the last thing I want to talk about is the personal notes for other accounts to keep track of who they are. So for example, if you block someone and someone contacts you and you block them, you might forget eventually why you block them. You can actually set a personal note of that account for the block so you can say, oh, this is why I blocked that person. And these notes are visible only to you So you don't have to worry about people seeing the notes that you put about them. So I think that is a very interesting thing because I have, on occasion, blocked some people who were very annoying and trollish. Well, not trollish, but just vile. And I blocked those people, and I don't remember what they said, but it might be interesting to have like a copy of their note that they said, the reason I blocked them kind of thing. Um, But yeah, I think that's an interesting approach to that as well. So if you'd like to check out Mastodon, uh, you you can go to mastodon.social to sign up for an account or a variety of different other uh, instances. There's actually a lot of instances. That's one of the main things about Mastodon. There's actually a link to all the different servers on mastodon.social. So if you want to check that out as well, Uh, I am on Mastodon. Uh, Like I said previously, you'll find a link to connect with me on Mastodon and also Twitter in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the Humble Bundle Bonanza. And now there's quite a few bundles to talk about. We're going to get to those. But before we do, I wanted to let you know about a game that is currently on Humble Bundle right now for free. And that is the F1 2018 racing game. So if you're into F1 racing, then F1 2018, you need to check that out because it is currently available for a very limited time for free. Now, when I say very limited, I mean that by the time this episode is released, it's less than a day. So... You definitely want to jump to that right now. I've linked to it in the show notes below. And also, to be clear, that is an affiliate link, but since it's free, it doesn't really matter. Just telling you that it is. And also, all the other links are affiliate links as well. So if you do decide to purchase any of these bundles, then I would just want to let you know that these links are affiliate links. So a percentage of the purchase will go to Tux Digital and This Week in Linux podcast. So if you do decide to purchase those bundles, please use those links below because it helps out the channel and helps out this show. So yeah, let's get to the bundles. So we have the Humble Double Fine 20th Anniversary Bundle. And they say that we're toasting 20 years of Double Fine. There's two decades of games packed into this bundle, like Rad, Psychonauts, everything and more. Plus, you also get your purchase with support special effect organization and Girls Make Games organization, as well as a charity of your choice. And I also want to add a little bit extra because Double Fine also makes this game called Gang Beasts. And we're going to be playing Gang Beasts in the DLN game night at the end of the month on on September, uh, Sunday, August 30th. So be sure to uh, check out this bundle if you want to be a part of that. Uh, clear To be clear, you need to be a patron of Tux Digital or Destination Linux or another DLN creator. 
and also have this game to be a part of that part. Uh, but I wanted to let you know that this game is going to be a part of the game night and is also in this bundle, so you get to save a lot of money for it. And it also looks like a ridiculously fun game. It's like a fighting game, but all the characters have really weird physics, like they're made out of clay and stuff. It's pretty interesting, so you might want to check it out anyway. So normally that game's like 20 bucks, and with this, it's like 10 bucks or 9 bucks or something. So very, very cool. Uh, and again, going to be part of the game night. So let's go to the next bundle. So we also have a Programming Languages by O'Reilly bundle, which has books like 97 Things Every Java Programmer Should Know, Learning SQL, Learning Java, Perl, Fluent Python, and many, many more. So check those out. There's also a Raspberry Pi a book bundle right now that has a bunch of stuff about learning about how to use the Raspberry Pi for a variety of different appliances and applications and stuff. So I'll have a link to that as well. And they also have a bunch of uh, game design bundles. So we have a humble book bundle, game design and animation by packet. So you can learn stuff like Unreal Engine 4 virtual reality projects, learn Clip Studio Paint, create a game character with Blender, Substance Painter and Unity, game design with Unity 2019, learn the foundations of Blender, practical game design, and many, many more things, as well as another bundle called JavaScript Coding Bundle. It's basically uh, complete JavaScript courses from Zenva. You can go from zero to industry-ready developer by building real projects on web design, server-side development, game creation, and more. So all of those, as well as a bunch of other ones, because there's a bunch of game, a bunch of humble bundles right now that I think are all interesting. But I didn't want to put them on the show because there's just so many of them. I wanted to highlight the ones that are the biggest, most likely you'd be interested in. But also, there's some more, like the NCAL bundles, the cre uh, Create Comics and Manga bundle, and a bunch of other stuff like Star Trek bundle. Uh, so. If you want to check those out too, I have a link in the show notes for, below for all of them. Again, also a reminder that free game of F1 2018 is very soon to expire. So check that out. All links below for all the Humble Bundles and the F1 2018 in the show notes below. I know I said below like five times right there. And I apologize for the repetitiveness, but there you go. Links in the doobly-doo. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways you contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And remember, the DLN Game Night, if you are a patron of Tux Digital, you can participate in that. So be sure to become that if you would like to. And also, in addition to that, you get a bunch of other bonuses and rewards and stuff like that and perks and whatever you want to call it. And you can vote on topics, for example, of videos that I'll be creating for the Tux Digital channel. So if you would like to like choose which topics come next, then be sure to become a patron and go to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. This is a shirt that I designed to convey the message that whether or not you know Linux is there, it probably is. So that's why Tux is blended into the background to, of the t-shirt to show that he's, he's there even if you don't know it or not. So Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, go to destinationlinux.network slash store to get one of your for, for yourself. Or if you'd like to contribute without any cost to you, you can do that by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. 
And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And again, talk about 185 where we try to fix Linux tech support and 184 where we try to fix bug reports in Linux. So check out those topics because I think they are just fantastic episodes. And if I do say so myself, which of course I'm a little bit biased, I think the ep- the show has been getting so much better so every every single week. So you don't want to miss out miss out on this this show. It's just it's fantastic. A little bit biased, I know, but it is also fantastic. I guess you'll just have to check it out to be sure. Do that. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source of Linux good news. <laughs>